Stacy Powers Cuellar has been the executive director at Brava since 2012. She began her career in nonprofit arts at the San Francisco Mime Troupe. After leaving the Mime Troupe, Stacy joined Dr. Locos Rock and Jalapeno Band as business manager and has worked or served over an additional dozen nonprofits and arts organizations in San Francisco. Stacy produces and presents thought provoking art as Brava continues to be a center for igniting social change and building community. With 30 years of arts administration and production experience in San Francisco, she ushered in a new era of stability for Brava, revitalized its longstanding youth program, The Running Crew, revived the capital project to renovate the building's three storefronts, and launched Brava Presents to deliver an eclectic array of music, theater, dance, visual, and media arts work in collaboration with local artists and arts organizations. Stacy Powers Cuellar continues to be a warrior for the arts and the community. She is a force to be reckoned with. In this commentary about the Rama Blueprints live discussion, Tres Generaciones, Three Voices, she shares with us her life's work as an arts administrator in the Mission District, the role of Brava in the community, and the importance of stories and storytelling for future generations and the healing evoked through this experience. We present her commentary. When did you come to San Francisco? Since I moved to the San Francisco in 1982, I started living in the Mission in 1983 and working at the Mime Troop on Treat 21st, mm -hmm. right around that time. Just kind of coincidentally, I used to sew a lot. And so I started making costumes for the Mime Troupe and just found myself in the mission. I I found an apartment in the mission on 23rd Street. And it was pretty amazing time in the 80s in the, in the mission. It was buzzing all the time, you know. There were so many artists living throughout, like from Bernal, the outer mission, in the inner mission. And so there was always poetry readings or gallery openings or performances. Like the York Theater, I, the first time I went there was in 1983. Mm. I think John Santos was doing a lecture on the history of salsa music, and he screened a movie about Machito. And I just totally went, I randomly went to that and I was just blown away. And then I ended up uh, volunteering stage managing for the Encuentro del Canto Popular that Acción Latina was presenting. That's why I met Bill Martinez and Francisco Herrera and Betty Pasmino and Juan Gonzalez. I did that for a few years. And then in the meantime, I was doing a lot of work with the Mime Troupe up until 1989. So I was just hanging around up and down 24th Street. There was no, like, not a lot of reason to leave the neighborhood. It was so popping. And I just learned a lot. I learned a lot about all of, like, the dynamics in the mission, all the different folks that were coming from all over. You know, it was a, an Italian neighborhood, an Irish neighborhood. My family's Irish descent. I did costumes for Carnival one year. So it was just like very welcoming community in some ways and very joyful and very celebratory, which was really nice to be around. 
um, certainly had its challenges, but but I'm still here. <laughs> That's awesome. When you think about that particular evening that we were there and those stories were being mm -hmm. told, how could this wisdom continue to be shared? And how do you see Brava as an organization that could be in the leadership of creating mas platicas, mas circulos, mm -hmm. sustaining not the theory or the methodology, but the action of la cultura cura? I, you know, I came to Bravo in 2012 and I had worked with lots of different organizations, both for a production management, um, also a administrative person, financial person. So I worked at a lot of different organizations and I saw how everyone worked. Dance Mission, Frameline, Galeria de la Raza, just to name a couple. And small from Quark Map, Queer Women of Color, Media Arts Project. You know, they were fresh meat, small organizations of $100,000 up to a $2 million organization. So I saw how all the different organizations worked at different levels. I had been involved in the building of where of Brava since the early 80s from doing neighborhood stuff and, and community activities. You know, my later husband performed there and my daughter grew up in the neighborhood, went to school, did her graduating, did her culminating events at Brava. It's a vortex of energy, that whole thing in that place. And around 2011, when it was going to close and it was in really bad shape, the building was in foreclosure, you know, I was just asked to come and help, like, figure out if it could be saved, to do an analysis of the infrastructure and figure out how could the building be saved for the arts community. And, and so that's kind of what I was really focused on. And my experiences with all the other of the organizations I work with, those that had partnerships were the more successful and struggled less than those organizations that tried to be more independent and mm -hmm. on their own. And also my own history with the building in the neighborhood showed me that this building was for a lot of different people and not just one group of people. And that was always the struggle at the theater level, too. Like, I remember when Bravo for Women in the Arts bought the building, there was a lot of pushback for a lesbian organization owning the building and the property. But it was also still used by so many other different folks. Loco Bloco moved in in 1996. And so that's all I do. I just tried to carry that forward, the the partnership, and like reaching out to Acción Latina and reaching out to Galeria and reaching out to dance mission and making kind of giving people subsidies and rental subsidies so that they could do their projects at, at the theater. Be in a professional space that was really affordable. That's what also works for the kids and the kids program as well. Like the, to have these like really well furnished venues with a good sound system and a light system. And the kids can learn all this, this stuff. They learn these skills so that they can take them forth in their lives and, and be better people or have some job skills. So it's an incredible place for lots of people to move through on a daily basis. There's like about 30 to 40,000 people that come in and out of the building. And 
the three venues and opening it up for the community. It's the only way to survive mm-hmm. from my perspective. Right. It's the collaboration, right? It's the collaboration with the artists, the co- collaboration with the community. And you just kind of like look at, okay, you have this and I have this. And if we collaborate, we could have something more put together. Right. So once you made the decision to say, well, let's bring this live podcast here. Let's see how does this build community? What was so significant and special about the live podcast? And what are your reflections? Well, again, I think it's the the kura part of the kultura, right? Because... Right. Rap school meant a lot in this neighborhood, helped a lot of kids transition in an environment that's supportive and and understanding. And the mission, you know, has had a lot of challenges as a working class neighborhood. And so rap was a very important tool in helping people just live together, live and work together. And then when rap closed and it was a very difficult time for a lot of people in the neighborhood. And so like bringing it back, the reason why you're doing the podcast, the reason why you're like talking about this history is because it helps people have a better understanding of how we got to where we are. And also all the people that played roles in that. And and there was sadness and bitterness around that, that breakup that needs to heal right so it's really about having a gathering place where people feel safe and they can talk about things that happen and bring like the three generations of people together so that there's a just a greater understanding like when because who was in that room but there was 18 year olds and 19 year olds 20 year olds as well as you know and all the people that, you know, the IFR folks and the Karesan folks, you know, we've all been working in this neighborhood together for so many years now. Um, so it helps just to like remember why something was done, but also how do we let it go in a peaceful way? How do you honor Mitch? How do you honor what the good things that the program delivered for the neighborhood and for the kids and the families? Mm-hmm. Now, that's what, when I look at our families, so the Kwika Kali program or the Mariachi program, when the kids do that work and they take it home, it resonates in, in the family. You know, it's not just isolated. There's pride that, you know, your kid is succeeding in some way or being embraced in another way. And so that's really important for us, too. Why do you think people don't come together and have those conversations, talk about art and resilience. What do you think that isn't happening as much as it? Well, I think people are always trying to organize. I mean, if you look at the history of the mission, there's just since the 70s, particularly since Los Siete. That neighborhood is organized. The mission has a lot of organizations. (laughs) Right, right. It has a lot of people who are trying to create pathways of survival. And that's hard work, and it stresses people out, and the obstacles for, like, Instituto Familiar de la Raza to work with people who have a real difficult time navigating through the social systems here. 
or Centro Legal or, you know, all the service organizations. Mm -hmm. That's very exhausting. It's tiring, both for the people seeking support and help and also the caregivers and the people who are supporting or even like Garesen and the work they do, right? So I think in the art, it's another way to do the work. It's very stressful in creating and bringing all the pieces together. When the curtain goes up and people, the audience and the artists have come together in this space, you know, it's magical. There's magic in the room. It's full of emotion. It's full of connection. You know, when you think about Brava slash York slash Roosevelt Theater, you're thinking about almost 100 years of people sitting in that venue night after night and just having these transformative experiences, whether it's through film or a concert. So I think performing arts, visual arts, the mural arts are just ways that people can come together to make things and create things that reinforce all those other social systems that people um, need to manage and get mm -hmm. through. So it's been really fascinating to be in the mission for us all of these years and being involved in this dynamic, especially like in COVID. By April 2020, UCSF and the Latino Task Force created the Unidos en Salud and this whole way of organizing the community to make sure that the least amount of people died and the most amount of people got help. That's right. In some format, you know, and that came through testing and later on vaccine and also the community wellness team where they delivered food and medicine and cleaning supplies, also gave people stipends if they couldn't work. And you're talking about like on Mission Street apartments with like 18 people in them. 32 people in them who were trying to like work in the restaurants and all the, the businesses here in, in the city. Mm -hmm. And so I'm talking about that in particular because Brava is the fiscal sponsor of that project right. with UCSF and the Latino Task Force to help support that project, which is still ongoing now. And they do MPOX testing, they do HIV testing, they do... Uh, vaccines for flu, monkeypox, they distribute Narcan. So we still fiscally sponsor this site at the corner of Cabin 24. That's partly staffed by UCSF and other folks in the neighborhood. So we depend on each other to help each other, help people get through, you know, and you can't like stop, right? Somebody always has to be like picking up the mantle because Somebody's going to get tired and then somebody, it's, it's just nonstop, you know. Yeah, Along those lines of what I hear is community, action, art has played a significant role in that. And so mm -hmm. it's good information to share out there with folks that Brava, being an arts organization, is yeah. a fiscal agent for all this services that were provided through COVID. And I think that's extremely important. Mm -hmm. And and specifically, what resonated for you that night in hearing this conversation? Yeah. I mean, it's always wonderful to hear Concha speak um, as a wise person, as, um, again, someone who brings context to things that 
that a younger person may not know or see or understand. So that was really moving, knowing Oscar since maybe he was in his 20s to see the things that he's done and how he reflects on that was really nice. But I do think what Fatima said for me, and we talked about this a little earlier, was resilience is not a solitary act. Mm-hmm. You know, in order to be resilient, in order for us to kind of move things forward in a more, you know, healthy and balanced neighborhood, society, city, everything's so out of whack. So how do we like show people where even where balance is? You might be out of balance, but there's balance and you can see it. And that's what we're all kind of moving towards. And we all have to work together. And that's like the beauty of having Brava and having the cabaret on the street along the 24th Street Corridor, which is not just Brava, but it's also Presida Eyes Muralist. It's also Acción Latina and Tecolote. It's also the Calle 24 Latino Cultural District. There's Dance Mission. There's Mission Cultural Center and lots of artists and art shops in between and all these organizations that like live and work along the corridor just makes you just feel like you're part of a greater, bigger picture than just you're trying to survive your own little organization. Some final thoughts of just that night. Why this live podcast? Well, you know, we've been doing Indomitas podcast with Chelis Lopez for the last almost two years now. And uh, again, it's the connection, it's the storytelling. Mm-hmm. And then having you approach us to have it there just was a yes, because it's based in community. It's based in healing community. It's based in you know, helping people have a greater understanding. And that's what it is for me. That's why, you know, when you told me you were doing this, I just felt like it, it's perfect for what the neighborhood needs. Like, because, you know, you're constantly under barrage, whether it's economic or housing or whatever, parking tickets, people who come into the theater who like come to see a show, they're coming from like, I can't park, I have babysitting, I have this like a disheveled life. And I just love the idea when people walk in and have an experience of listening or of watching and listening to stories or watching stories, it just transforms people. It's magical. So what for me, what you guys are doing is magical. You're making a magic to help open up paths in people's lives so you're not just like, you know, stuck in your own head all day because that's what makes us crazy. We've been talking to Stacey Powers, the executive director of... uh... Brava, and thank you. And I look forward to continue to making more magic. Yeah, as as Darren says all the time, let's continue to make magic. Thank you for the opportunity, and we look forward to continue to working with you. Thank you for your words. Today. Thank you, Sokoto. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Please consider donating to Rama Blueprints at the caresensf.org website or the link in the description. Please subscribe to our podcast and share it with two people. 
This episode was produced and edited by Darren J. De Leon and Socorro Gamboa for the Five Sisters Audio Garden. Thank you for listening. And remember, to listen is to heal. All power to the people.